Hello, I'm Dee Brown, CEO, and welcome to this episode of Self Made. Joining me today is Janice Haith. Janice is the Strategic Client Director for Navy Marine Corps at Oracle. Janice, welcome to Self Made. Well, thank you. Hey, so I'm glad to have you on the show. Thank you you have a me. fascinating um, uh, biography, so we want to jump in and really start early on. Tell me about uh, your childhood, where did you grow up, and what your, your childhood was like. Okay, so I was born in Heidelberg, Germany. My father was in the military, and so uh, they were there for about 10 years before I was born. Then I was born, and then my little sister decided to come along, and they decided to move back to the States so the family could be around their grandkids. And grew up in the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, went to school there, graduated from high school, went to Hampton. Uh, graduated from Hampton, started working, went to graduate school, kept working, um, worked in the federal government all my life, and then uh, retired about five years ago and started working in the private sector. So I've been doing that for a long time. Okay, long time. so just kind of uh, backtrack just a little bit to your childhood. What was it like being basically a Navy brat? In the Army. Um, Different. It's different. Uh, we didn't move a lot because he was at the end of his career, uh -huh. but we did move two times before. We moved from Germany to D.C. and from D.C. We stayed in D.C. area, but we moved different bases. So how old were you when you moved to uh, D.C. Uh, area? Like 18 months. Oh, so you was a baby. Okay. I was a baby. Baby, baby. <laughs> baby. And then the second move, I was like three years old. So where did you go to high school? What was that like? So I went to a Catholic high school, went to St. Anthony's in D.C. Uh, doesn't really exist anymore, but it was there. It was great. Um, had a good experience there. Very, very small school, but it was uh, a close-knit school. Yeah. And so it gave me a good upbringing for that. Yeah. And so when you uh, went on to Hampton, what did you major in? And how did you select your career path? So that's a, ironically asked that because my major is not what I did in my career. So okay. that's interesting. And that's so not I, unusual. <laughs> <laughs> I started off as a sociology major and uh -huh. then got into criminal justice. So I wanted at that time I wanted to do, look at what could I do to help the recidivism rate in the population. Yeah. And, you know, we were having problems back then. Well, we still do. Right. And so I did sociology and I did a lot of things in in the campus. Um, I was a student leader with student yearbooks, did things like that, and just worked on the campus to do things. And then I participated in some internships to help me with cr uh, criminal justice. But at the end of the day, I found, I was like, I don't think I really want to do this. Yeah. But my first job out of college was uh, working in the court system in D.C., uh -huh. and that's where I said, I really don't want to do <laughs> I really don't want to do this. Uh, it was a little bit more, uh, I would say, the demeaning in terms of what you saw relative to people and how the interactions were. Yeah. Interesting, but that's something I just didn't want to make a career out of. Right. So how did you select to become a um, part of the military as a civilian uh, employee? So it was ironic. I, I was asked to apply for a job when I was working at the courthouse. And I said, why don't you try for this job? You might like it. And so I did. And I got it. And I started working at the Pentagon. And I loved it. And I stayed. And so what was your first uh, position? I worked for the Air Force, and I was the deputy special security officer. So we dealt with. Uh, let me. I'll, I'll give you an example. I dealt with the Iran Contra and those incidents that were going on. Yeah. The Melda Marcos case. We worked on those cases, and we did a lot of uh, work with other agencies to look at documents, gather the facts, send them to the uh, legal system, the judicial system, so they could, uh, you know, figure out what what was going to be prosecuted, what was not, who needed to be involved and then make some decisions on whether the information could be released. And so what, what was interesting, I mean, they had to be an interesting uh, uh, case to be involved with, uh, you know, yeah. obviously 
one of with international uh, attention. Yeah, so it was interesting because I used to fly up to New York every week with all these documents classified in a, in a lock carrier case and talk to this judge and we would go over and I'd fly. But it was a day trip and it was yeah. like I did it so much and I got to be, oh, it's no big deal. But it was interesting because of the protections that we had to do and then the outcomes. Um, we didn't get involved in the actual outcomes, but we did get involved with, you know, the document transfers and uh, making sure that both the uh, plaintiffs or the Justice Department and the defense teams had everything they needed to accurately handle the case. So it was interesting from that perspective. I got to meet the people involved, and so yeah. that was interesting too. And so how long were you in that role? I did that for three years. Okay. About three years, yeah. And then what was your next um, so move? So after that, I went to work at the Air Force. That's when I went to the Air Force and worked at the Pentagon. So Okay. Yeah. And what did, what did you do at the Pentagon? So I worked in top secret uh, situations where I handled, again, materials, and we looked at them, but we did it more from a, a planning perspective of how is the Air Force going to respond to a engagement. Uh -huh. And shortly after that was a Iraq conflict right. um, with uh, George Bush one. Yeah. And so we we did a lot of the things that people don't know about that goes on at night. We looked at the what they call battle damage assessments. We looked at the targets. We looked at things like um, uh, who, who were casualties, civilian, military, what was going on. What do we need to get to the people that are on the front lines to help them with their missions and things like that? So uh, how did you go through the process? Because obviously you, you had to have uh, top security clearances to work within uh, the area that you was working. What can you share about that process of you know, obtaining those clearances? Oh, it's, it's this ongoing process today. Still, it's, it's better than it was, but it's very paper intensive. Back then, it was very paper intensive. And you fill out like a 20-page form, you answer all these questions about your life up until a point, and then they have somebody go out and investigate you. They talk to your family, your neighbors, uh, check your credit, the law enforcement records, check everything about you, and then somebody reads the package and says, yes, you can have a clearance, or no, you can't, or right. you can have a clearance with conditions, so things like that. When when you get a clearance with conditions, what would that look like? So actually, I ended up working in that organization later. Um, uh -huh. So clearance with conditions could be somebody that has a credit problem. Uh -huh. So they'll say, you can have a clearance, but we're going to monitor your credit every six months. Yeah. Or if you have a problem with uh, alcohol or something like that, they'll monitor it and make you do some tests every so often to check and see if you're okay and you're stable. And they just do some self-evaluations. Right. And so for a viewer that's listening that may be considering um, a career in the military, um, what's the importance, because you mentioned uh, they check credit and those, what's the importance of credit as it relates to a clearance? To keep a good credit report? Yeah. Uh, you know, things happen, life happens, and so things, when you're younger, you know, you make mistakes in, in colleges. I know they still offer credit cards to these kids and all, but you understand the debt. When you look at your debt and you look at your income, if you can't handle it, uh, don't file bankruptcy right away. Just try to get somebody to work with you. But if you do get into trouble, it's not the end of the world. Yeah. You know, it's some way they can work with you to get that clearance, but with conditions. And so you can still have a fulfilling career in, in the federal government. And so uh, you started at the Air Force. How long were you uh, with the Air Force? I was there, and I forgot. I see, I went to the Hill. I got a fellowship. They, uh, they sponsored me for a congressional fellowship. 
So I was there three years, and then I went on the fellowship, and I worked on the Capitol Hill for a year during the time um, Bill Clinton was running for president. Okay, and so what was that experience like on Capitol totally Hill? Totally different. Uh, it was <laughs> eye-opening. Um, I had I really never understood the legislative process as it relates to how the federal government works. You know the triangle of judicial, legislative, and executive. Right. And it was very, very eye-opening. Um, I was amazingly surprised at how they make budgets and the bills that go to become laws, the details, the hearings that you have to go to, the preparation, and then the engagements with all the members of Congress. It was constant and right. it was it was exciting. It was um, it was just a good time. It was a good time yeah. to work up there. And so what was your next um, move after you completed your work on the Hill? So I went back to the Air Force and they gave me a job to actually set up a new automation program for DOD, well initially for the Air Force but it became a deal to uh, electronically handle the clearance process. So that's when it comes yeah. back full circle. Yeah. So instead of being paper intensive, how can we make this electronic so we get less uh, human touch involved, more automated touch. So we built a system. We built a okay. system and um, it became the DLD system and it was used with other agencies as well. So we shared information, but they could look at the documentation on a screen instead of piece of paper, save money from not having paper, right. but make more informed decisions and then you were able to store the information and if something did pop up, they could pull it back a lot easier than asking to go back and dig up a file out of a box. Right. And so how long did you uh, stay in that role? I did that for about four years, and then I got promoted to a senior executive, and I went over to another agency, which does similar work, but not exactly, and I was the deputy director of the agency. It was Defense Security Service. Okay, and what type of uh, responsibilities did you have in that role? So I was also responsible for information technology and cybersecurity at the time, but I also had responsibility for the industry. So overseeing the industrial process relative to clearances, both people and the facilities, because in the federal government we clear facilities to process whether it's nuclear weapons material or whether it's information, whatever it is. So I helped do that, and that's where we developed. Uh, we took an automation system that they had and took it to the next level. And what we also did was we started to integrate it with the personnel security system, so there was more of a nexus. So if you have clear people, then you can see what facilities they can work in, and you can move around. People can move around, whether you're government or contractor. Gotcha. And so uh, during your time uh, in the Air Force, I w you were there doing 9-11, am I correct? I, yes, I was there. Uh, I was not at the building. I was at the base across the river called Bowling Air Force Base, um, and I was. we heard it. We, we actually heard it, and then we went outside and saw what was going on, and it became uh, what they call DEFCON, you know, for Delta. Uh, we were locked down, you know, we had no communications for a couple hours because you couldn't get through. The lines had been locked out. And I had lots of friends over there from college, people that I work with, yeah. couldn't get, find out what was going on. But we just could see the smoke. And, it, you know, we had heard the 9-11 incident up in New York, but we didn't attribute it to, right. we thought it was a, just a plane that crashed into a building. And then we started, we're under attack. And I guess for me it was surreal because who would have thought we would have been attacked on U.S. soil right. in this day and age. So, you know, we had to start preparing. You know, I had to explain to the employees we couldn't leave and go upstairs because you didn't know if, if something else was coming. We had to look at some maps to figure out what we're going to do, how we're going to position people, uh, make sure people were safe. 
uh, people were scared. You know, they had to calm them down because I was a senior person yeah. uh, in the building that day. And then I had to run back across the base a couple times to get some materials. And, you know, it was different for me because I had to wear a um, the helmet type thing. Yeah. And, you know, it's a civilian. You don't right. expect to have to do that. Right. And then uh, I think probably about 6 o'clock that day, they were like, people go home. You know, we'll let you know about coming back to work the next day. We don't know what to do. You know, I got home, told my family I was okay. Um, but we all went back to work the next day. Yeah. Everybody wanted to go back to work. We were like, what do we have to do to take care of this? We have to right. fight this. What do we need to do? Right. So it was surreal. Did you have any uh, people that you know that were uh, injured or? I know people in organizations that lost their lives, but I had a lot of friends that barely got out of the building. I mean, they literally had to leave everything, crawl out, run out. Yeah. My best friend. Wow. Life-changing experience. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, but you've had the experience of working with more than one uh, military agency, correct? Oh, yeah. So yes. what other agencies have you So with? in addition to Air Force and Defense Security Service, I worked on the uh, Secretary of Defense staff. Uh, so I worked in two organizations there, one for intelligence and one for um, information technology cybersecurity. So I did both of those and uh, did a lot of things. Again, it's all it's all interrelated, but it was security, yeah. uh, counterintelligence, uh, personal security related activities. So do I guess dealing with you know classified information, top secret you know assignments, uh, does that create stress? Or I mean, how do you how do you deal with you know that responsibility? So I would say stress is is a standard, you know. Yeah. Uh, I've always felt like we were in reaction mode. We weren't proactive because there was something going on every day. Yeah. Um, you worked, it, as the more you uh, rose up in the ranks, the longer you worked, your hours became longer and longer, the stress got greater. Um, you were always on target to do something. You had to you know, respond to this query or you had to write something up. You had to go to the Hill to testify about something. So yeah, it's constant. What, it's what constant. is it like testifying on the Hill? Uh, it's interesting. You know what I'm <laughs> and it, and I, I would tell you, it dep depends on the political parties in charge. Yeah. Um, so it's a little softer on the when it's a little Democratic side. It's much more stringent when it's on the Republican side. Yeah. Yeah. So how, you know, being a, a woman and a woman of color, uh, rising through the ranks like that, what do you contribute your success to? So I actually had two mentors who were white males who uh -huh. were like, we see something in you, we need to push you, and we're going to make you move forward in the yeah. ranks. And they did. They groomed me. They made sure I took the right courses um, with the DOD that I, they would get me advancement. And when the opportunity came, they were like, this is your job, apply for it. And I got it. And wow. so it was defining. That was defining. Let's talk about some of the advanced training that you received. So I went to uh, War College. Went to, uh, we have a War College in D.C. But I, we do it in the Pentagon too and so I did that with the military which is interesting because you learn the art of war and how they, what their strategies are and how they decide to go after a target or however they decide to capture whatever they're doing. So we learned that and at the time I was like wow I had no idea. It's just much more intricate than people think it is. It's not just dropping a bomb on a target or running a tank in. Yeah. It's, it's a process. It's a very defined process. It's a delicate process where you look at human life, uh, the civilian, military, and just what's the impact? What's the impact to wherever you're going? Right. So uh, 
how did you kind of talk about your kind of final years in the military? What branch were you with and what were your responsibilities? So I'm, when I left the Secretary of Defense staff, I went to the Navy. Uh, I was the Deputy U.S. Navy Chief Information Officer. So in the Navy, it's the Department of Navy. We're the only, it's the only department with two services, Navy and Marine Corps. And each of the service have their own chief information officers. So it's a three-star in the Navy, and I reported to the three-star. And they, the three-star has a much broader portfolio than just uh, information technology. We're responsible for intelligence, information warfare. And I ran the chief uh, IT cybersecurity aspect of it. So it was policy, governance, um, looking at compliance. It was also the time when we had some data breaches that went on. Uh, yeah. We had the OPM data breach that impacted 21 federal employees, uh, 21 million people, I should say. We had to figure out what was going on, what, was this, what, what did we do wrong across the government, how do we fix this, and how do we make sure it doesn't happen again. And then uh, Navy had their own cyber attack, and we had to work on that. And so it was constantly, um, yeah. we, were, we were always on the defensive. What is it like to be, you know, to have that responsibility, and then you, go, you get a cyber attack? I mean, what is that uh, like? It's not fun. I will tell you, <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot of, how did this happen? What, what did we miss? Let's go back and trace the steps to uh, whose capability might have created the problem. Did they not do the upgrades that you, you know, we tasked them to do? Are they running outdated um, software? Um, did somebody just miss something? Did they open a port that they shouldn't have opened? Or what happened? What is it? Bad software, malware that came out. So it's a lot of uh, forensics that have to go on to figure it out. And it takes time. And, yeah. it, takes, and it takes money. Right. It takes money. And so... Um, what led to you deciding that you were going to kind of unwind your military uh, career and move into the private sector? So I was under the old federal pension system at the time. And when you reach a certain point in terms of years of service and age, it's not to your benefit to continue work. It becomes economically not feasible for you. So I retired. Okay. And then I took some time off and did some little consulting. And then I got offered an opportunity with Oracle. And I took it because Oracle had been somebody that worked with me when I was at Navy. We did a big agreement. And I was like, well, maybe I can go there and do some of these things for, you know, the rest of the department. Right. And so talk to me about your current role at Oracle. So as the strategic client director for Navy Marine Corps, I oversee what the activities are of all the Oracle business units. So we have several. We have at least seven that sell uh, product and services to the Navy and the Marine Corps, but to all DLD. We have client directors for other branches, too. And uh, we oversee what their activities are. We try to make sure that we're not tripping over ourselves when we're going to talk to some of the people. Yeah. We, we have a strategy that we want to, hey, we know this is your requirement because the government tells you their requirements. This is how we can satisfy your requirement, what we can do. And, you know, for instance, Oracle is very cutting edge in terms of using autonomous. And I tell people autonomous is like the Jetsons. Yeah. If you ever grew up with the Jetsons, right. self-driving cars. Right. That's what we do. And we're building that and we're trying to get the Department of Defense to move toward that stage. Wow. So, you know, you, I know that you um, had a lot of responsibilities early in life. And so you uh, haven't been too long got married. So right. talk to me about, you know, kind of what led to you waiting later in life to, uh, to get married. So I would say it was twofold. One is I was self-driven and wanted to have a career and I wanted to, to be something successful. And uh, my dad was like, you need to go to school. You need to do this, you need to do this. So I was pushing, pushing that. Yeah. And then when my dad got sick, 
Um, I had to take a step back, and so I had to take care of him. I'm the oldest of two. Yeah. And so my sister was um, his child. She was a military spouse, and they were overseas. So when my dad got sick, I took care of him. And, you know, I took care of him until he made his transition, and then shortly thereafter, my mother got sick. And so it was just taking care of family and making sure everybody was okay, and, and then all the other family and doing yeah. all that. So I just pushed it. It became a secondary thing. Yeah. And then I said... I finally met somebody that became my soulmate. Good, good. That's that's good to hear. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, what do you do for fun? What do you what do you do to unwind? Because the, the the careers that you've had have all been super stressful. So, how do you unwind? So, prior to COVID, I like to travel. Uh -huh. I like to go different places, new places. Go to concerts. I like to shop, hang out with my girlfriends, um, do all kinds of fun things with my friends, and of course, do things with my husband. We visit family. Um, we have a lot of parties in the house <laughs> pre-COVID, and we're trying to get ready to go back post-COVID. Yeah. Not that it's over, but trying to go back to more social activity. Just, yeah. you know, a couple time, uh, just having fun with people. Not a golfer. I've tried dig up more holes than I could imagine, <laughs> but I'm, I'm going to learn. I'm going to actually take up, learn. Um, and I like to go to the beach. Sit out on the beach, sit there, read books, son, just chill. Now, you've had so many achievements and accomplishments uh, throughout your career. Uh, talk about some that you're most pr uh, most proud of. Um, I would say one of the most significant accomplishments I had was uh, before I retired, I actually wrote a policy for, deal for the Navy that said we are moving to the cloud. You don't have a question. It's not an option. We're doing it. Yeah. So I was proud of that. And I was also proud of an opportunity I had when I worked at the Defense Security Service. We were struggling to implement a new security feature. And part of the struggle was we didn't have our applications ready. Mm -hmm. And I finally just said, that's it. We're doing it. End of story. Move. Let's get it done. Because it saves us time and, and, and money. And so that was the objective at the time. So th those things will be most significant in my career. Yeah. Uh, talk to me about your uh, position or philosophy on diversity, equity, and inclusion. Ah, uh, yeah. Diversity, equity, inclusion is a big thing. Um, you know, I, I struggled with it when I was in the government because uh, I would tell people DLD is a microcosm of society relative to who looks like me and who looks like somebody else. And so you experience the pushback of being a female in the ranks. You know, people used to be like, oh, you're a secretary. No, I'm not a secretary. <laughs> I'm a senior executive, and you would be my subordinate. I'm not your subordinate, and I'm not going to get you coffee, so don't ask. Right. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. um, it's breaking the glass ceiling. It's, yeah. it's difficult. And I would say it's not just uh, me as an African-American woman. I found the same to go with uh, white women as well. Right, we imagine. all had the same problems. Right. Um, men, men are men. No, no, no offense. But, yeah, you know, men are in control. They're the dominant. But it, it can be a struggle. And I think diversity, equity, inclusion is vital. I mean, if you don't have diversity of thought and idea, um, you don't have the innovation, and you can't move forward. And just because this is the way we've done it five years ago doesn't mean it's the right way to do it today. Right. Change is inevitable, and you have to be flexible and adaptable to change. Did, did you find yourself uh, in situations where you were trying to push that oh, all the that time. narrative? All the time. And it, I used to tell people, if I have to stand on top of this desk or this <laughs> conference room table to get you to understand, this is why we need to do this, I will. Yeah. And, and sometimes when I took those drastic steps, they would say, okay, maybe this is something we need to look at. Right. It's, she's that passionate about it. It's something there that we need to take a look at. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a lot of power in uh, diversity. 
uh, like you said, diversity of opinions, thoughts. Uh, me as a male, uh, there are certain things that I always notice that like my female employees that they see, that they catch, or uh, point of views that they have that are totally different, uh, that may even be sometimes oblivious uh, to some of the, the men that work within the organization. And so I think that diversity is, is, is critical. If you were talking to a young lady or young man that's looking to have a successful career uh, in the military, and of course you were on the civilian side, uh, what type of advice would you, would you give them? So I would tell them whether you're going uniform or civilian, uh, study the STEM activities, science, technology, engineering, math, it's critical. That's DOD in particular runs off of those, those uh, career fields. Yeah. It's important to what they do. So do that. And I, I think if you're successful in your college, you know, careers doing that, you can get a job with the government or as a contractor working for a DOD, yep. building a plane or building a, um, a tank or building a bomb, for instance. There's a lot that you can do. And it's a rewarding career because at the end of the day, you are doing something to help others that are protecting us, giving, keeping us our freedom. Right. And so that's important. Uh, take about 30 seconds as we uh, wind down the show and just tell me about uh, how Delta Sigma Theta Incorporated, Sorority Incorporated, has impacted you professionally and personal life. Oh, my mentors were all Deltas um, yeah. when I was growing up, and, and that was the foundation for me. My family is a family of Deltas, and so they gave me the tools to be a leader. They gave me the opportunity to give my voice and uh, just the camaraderie, the sisterhood, the yeah. spirit of it. And just, you know, I love Delta Sigma Theta. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, thank Janice, you. for being on the show. I really appreciate you. And for my viewers, thank you for watching this episode of Self Made. And remember, without you, there's no me.